Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to another episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. Today, we will chat again with Morgan McKean. She's an intuitive empath and counselor, and she's going to be talking about her book, Becoming Princess Charming. And stay tuned right after this for the interview. Hi, this is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today... Welcome back to the show, Morgan McKean, intuitive empath and counselor. Hi, Morgan. Welcome back. Hi, Don. Thank you so much for having me back. Thank you. You were previously on the show a little over a year ago, and you talked about narcissistic abuse and gave a lot of tools for people who are suffering in those kind of relationships. It was a very popular episode, and this one's taking a little different direction. It is, and I cannot believe it's been a whole year, but you're right. A lot of people reached out to me after we did that podcast wanting to know more information, and I'm really glad it was able to be useful to those who needed it. Yes, me too. And it really was useful. I had a lot of inquiries about it, and it was one of the top listened to podcasts from last year for sure. So thank you. Wow, that just put a big smile on my face. I am so happy when what I have done and been through is of use and service to others. That really makes me happy. Oh, absolutely. It was. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk about a book you wrote. We talked about this a little bit in the last podcast. It was an ebook at the time. Correct me if I'm wrong. And it is called Becoming Princess Charming. And now it's an actual book, right? It's a a book. Well, it always is is a book. Well, here's the thing. When I first wrote Becoming Princess Charming, I had come out of an abusive situation and people wanted me to write a biography. And I really didn't want to put all of the details of that on paper, mainly because it would affect other people and I didn't want to have to tell the story. But I was asked, you know, how are you vivacious and alive and not bitter and all of those things? And so Becoming Princess Charming was actually written for a USC women in business alumni group that wanted me to write a book when I was making a presentation. And I thought it was going to be a short little ebook. And what came out about 250 pages later was Becoming Princess Charming. And last year, I met a publisher, Gilead Media Group, and they loved the book so much that they felt that people should be able to hold it in their hands and dog ear it and write notes on it. So we agreed and they published my book and it was just released last month in May. Nice. So it was released in May and Becoming Princess Charming. So let's talk about that. We all know growing up as girls... You know, the Disney movies, they always talk about a Prince Charming. I think the Prince Charming was in Sleeping Beauty. 
I think that's the one, right? Or it was Prince Charming she wanted to meet. Or maybe it was another one. <laughs> but instead, this you know, is about becoming your own. all of them. But this is about becoming your own Princess Charming. It is. Prin- becoming Princess Charming is really an ode to the stories that we are told when we were little girls, that you had to look like Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty or Snow White. And if you were a good little girl and you were pretty enough and you were obedient enough, that somehow this prince was going to come discover you and find you and give you your worth and validate you and you would live happily ever after. And well, I don't know about you, but I know my life looked nothing like that. And at some point, I got really tired of thinking that I wasn't beautiful enough, worthy enough, intelligent enough, 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 enough to live the life that I wanted to. And as I helped other women also embrace this, you know, you don't have to look like this, I put it down on paper who you need to be in order to create your very own happily ever after. And so very different than a fairy tale, I have six chapters in the book that all represent sessions with me. And those chapters are fun, food and fitness and men, money and meaning. Because if you know me at all, or you've listened to the last podcast, you know, I need to have a little bit of sass in my spirituality, just who I am. So In each of these chapters, what I have done to make self-help and spirituality super accessible is I have princesses in each one. I'll give you an example. In the food chapter, I have a princess named Starving Sarah, and I have a princess named Fast Food Frida, and I have another one that's Controlling Connie. And all of these women, as you can possibly tell by their names, eat according to their consciousness. But what I've done to make it easy is create these princesses so you can see yourself in them, so you can see if you think like them or believe like them, what your basic result would be. You know, we all have variations, but what that result would be. And if you do not like that result, I give you a magic spell, a, you know, tidbit, an insight to shift your consciousness your belief system, how you think, to something that supports your desired outcome. So if you're fast food Frida, just going through life, stuff in your face, not really worried about it and, and any of those things, and you know that your body is starting to not respond to that, I give you insights on how to shift from the fast food Frida mindset so that it becomes a natural extension of you to eat more healthy or in alignment with your desired result. Great. So all the different princesses. So you have different tips for each one. And wait, so what are the other names again besides fast food, Frida? I love these names. They're cute. Well, in each one, I've got different ones. Like in the money chapter, you have people like liberal Libby, who, you know, is just what she sounds like. In the men chapter, you have people like People Pleaser Penelope, Victim Victoria, Sexy Samantha, It's All About Me, Megan. And as their names would apply or imply, excuse me, that is their disposition or consciousness. You know, we have people in the money chapter. You have somebody who is has a poverty mindset. You have somebody who is a slave to their money. And then you have someone who's balanced. And I did it this way in particular because my tribe 
my audience has said to me over and over again, Morgan, I love that you take Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle, you know, the greats that are these physicists' minds, and you break it down to like reality TV language. You just break it down, make it simple. I've had people come to me and say they read this book in one afternoon because it felt like a conversation and they didn't have to go back and read the paragraph over and over and over in order to be able to take the golden nugget and apply it to their life. So one thing I want to be very clear here, the information I have put in this book, first of all, was not researched. It all came through life experience. But what it is, is a very simple self-help guide that you can carry around with you as long as you want, you need to help you get through these different areas of your life. It's very simple. And I made it that way because let's face it, life is hard enough. You don't need to read a book where you have to read each paragraph 10 times in order to get the meaning. You're reading a self-help book because you want to help yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really like those names. Now let's talk about the relationship chapter. There was a princess, so you said victim Victoria, and there was another one before that. I forgot the name, but it was very catchy. People pleaser Penelope. Yes. Let's let's talk about that one. So if you're a people pleaser Penelope, whether in your romantic relationships, your friendships, your family relationships, how can you switch from being people pleaser Penelope to a more empowered princess? I love it. Okay. So the first thing you have to know about most people, pleaser Penelope's is they have a slight touch of codependency. And what that usually means is somewhere in their childhood, we're not going to blame mom and dad, but it is what it is. Somewhere in childhood, they were taught that they had to give their power away to those in power in order to be loved, accepted, validated, so on and so forth. So I want to be clear. Nobody has a people pleaser personality when they're born. A people pleaser personality is learned. So one of the first things you have to do is reteach yourself or unlearn, whichever your preference, that behavior. And so one of the first things I invite people to do who have struggled with this is practice autonomy. And the way that you do this is really odd, and I'm going to break it down in its simplest form. When people are asking you for a favor, you feel the need to do it for them or say yes, because you don't want them to not like you. So what you have to understand is you are more than willing to do this favor because of the worth of the other person. When you understand that this other person has worth, that means people in general have worth. You are a person. Hence, you must have a level of worth. And so then what I invite you to do, whether you're working with me in person or reading the book, is practice two things. One, making requests of your own, affirming to yourself, I am a person, I have value, and just like they can ask me for something, I can ask them for something. Because many people pleasers do not ask people for things because they feel like, ooh, what if they don't like me enough to do it? I don't really want to know the answer to that. So I'd rather not ask. So that's step one, learning to understand that you have value as a person that you can logically and rationally see as a human being, I have a value. 
And just like the people around me who hold a value, who feel that they are entitled to make a request of me, I have that same ability to make a request of them. Part two is I also have the ability to deny a request because most people pleasers, it has been my experience, will ask people that they know will say no or they feel will say no. And so they already automatically assume the answer is no when they want something. So what I say to them is the same way you expect that other person to say no or deny you, you have that same opportunity to say no or deny them if you do not want to fill their request. And I know that may sound really basic and to people who don't struggle with people pleaser issues are like, you mean you can't just say yes and no when you feel like it? Well, to the person who's inside that experience, yes, saying yes and no is very difficult. Making a request is very difficult. So we start at that very baseline activity of I'm a person. I have value. I have the ability to make requests just like everybody else does. And I have the opportunity to deny requests just like everybody else does. And so we start with this practicing of small things that you are not emotionally attached to. Like, hey, babe, can you get me some popcorn? I don't think you're going to have a nervous breakdown if your boyfriend husband doesn't get popcorn for you. You know, I would hope. And you start making small requests that you are able to, let's say, withstand the rejection if it doesn't go right. And then what you do over time is build that muscle and you do it again and you do it again until you learn a new behavior. And how long does it usually take for someone to learn a new behavior? Some people, do they catch on quicker or are able to do it quicker than others? Absolutely. There is no baseline. And I want to be clear, you may develop autonomy at work before you do in your love life, or you might in your family life before you do with your boss. You have to be patient with yourself. You have to understand the orange tree produces oranges. The apple tree produces apples. If you get jealous that you are an orange and rather be an apple or you're an apple and rather be an orange, you're going to live miserably, bottom line. So what you have to do is say, am I better today than I was yesterday? Have I made a stronger effort to become who I want to be? Because we're all in the process of becoming. And your mind will start to feel relief when you start practicing the new behavior. Because your mind will start to say, oh, I'm in the process of becoming. I'm in the process of becoming more. And so that angst you feel, interestingly enough, tends to die down because you're now in the process. It's kind of like this. When people want to get fit, that first time at the gym is hard. But if they can make it for those first two or three weeks pretty consistently, now they've got the mindset of, ooh, I'm doing pretty good. Hey, I did it again today. Ooh, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to you know, do it again. And, and even if it's only been a couple weeks, they start to feel this relief around their fitness goals because the mind is able to rest and say, well, she's, she is going to the gym right now. You know, I can't give her a hard time. I can't throw those anxiety thoughts at her anymore. I can't give her a hard time. She's going in there. It's the same thing with practicing your autonomy. If you keep practicing in these little areas, your mind is going to kind of reward you. Be like, ooh, you did ask your husband for the popcorn. Or you did tell your mom that you weren't coming over on Sunday to have tea because your family is more important at this moment. 
you know, that's a big one I hear from women in particular is the split between their old family and their new family and feeling obligated to mom because a lot of women are people pleasers to mom and they want to like please mom, but they've got their own kids and their own family. That's a great area to see where you've made progress to say, mom, I love you. I'm not coming to Sunday tea. Little Johnny and Susie, they've got, you know, ballet recital and my husband needs his wife. I love you. I appreciate what you've done for me, but I need to move my my family forward. I am a mother now. And a lot of women struggle with that. And if you can hear my voice and play what I just said in your head, it will make you stronger as you build that autonomy muscle. And now for some people who are people pleasers, this might sound selfish and it's okay to be selfish and things like this, but how do you talk to some of your clients when they say, and maybe they don't say this, but it's something that kind of came up. Well, this is too selfish. They've been taught to, you know, to be giving, to be good, like you were saying, since we were little girls. So how can you get them to get past this, the selfishness? Oh, I love this question. It is one of my favorites because I obliterate the idea that we're not selfish. So let me start with this. Every human being alive does everything for self. Let me say that again. Every human alive does everything for self. When you are nice to your husband, you are doing it for yourself. When you are nice to your children, you are doing it for yourself. When you are nice to your mother, you are doing it for yourself. Why? Because you are the only one who can feel your feelings. And the things that you do, you do because you believe they're in alignment with you. So if giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving is what you think makes you a good person, you're selfish because you're doing it for the feeling that it gives you. There is no human being alive that isn't selfish. So if you're looking in the mirror saying, I'm selfless, I hate to break it to you and be a little bit in your face and tell you, um, sorry, selfish, because we can only be selfish because we are only relating from our point and identity. So we'll start with that. When you give to others, you think that you are not being selfish, but you are. And not only that, you are lying to them and being dishonest with them because you are doing things that are really something you don't want to do. And then people get upset because they're like, why is my life not happy? Well, how many people are you doing things for that you don't want to under the pretense that you're being selfless? Oh, uh-huh. Brilliant. When we are happy people taking care of ourselves, we invite the rest of our tribe to be happy too. When we make everybody else first, when we give our power away, we are depleted and we are setting a bad example for those around us and we are vibrating at a lower frequency because we are not in alignment with our true selves. So if you are struggling with this, let me tell you, girlfriend, you are the bomb. Everything you do is to serve you. So make decisions that make you happy because at the end of the day on your deathbed, you're not going to be worried about whether or not you had tea with your mother on Sunday, but you are going to be worried about whether or not you spend enough time nurturing your kids to get them to the finish line. You have to decide what values are most important to you and then act from that place and not worry about anybody else because I promise you they're not worried about you. They are acting from a selfish place too. Absolutely. You're right about that. I like that. So people can 
realize that that's why they're doing it. Even when you're trying to be a people pleaser, you're doing it so you can be liked. So this person will like you more. So you'll be popular, whatever your reason for being a people pleaser. Here's the thing. Everything we do or want, we do and want because we believe it will make our life better or make us feel better or happier. We want a new car because we believe the new car will make us feel better. We want a new house because we believe the new house will make us feel better. We want to please our mother because we think pleasing her will validate us and we will feel better. We want to please our husband because we believe he will validate us and then we will feel better. Everything you do is selfish and everything you do is for the purpose of a better or happier end result. And when you really embrace that and you get over all of what you think society is and what you're supposed to be doing, you will operate so much more smoothly because when you realize my identity as a good mother makes me want to show up to your basketball game. My identity as a good mother makes me want to take you to the doctor. But you know what I'm really serving? My identity as a good mother. Right. For the victim, Princess, Victoria the victim or victim Victoria, explain what that is for people who don't know and how can you get out of the victim mode? A victim mentality is a learned behavior, very much like people pleaser Penelope but it is a more extreme version of that. And what happens here usually, again, very similar in our childhood, and I speak to our childhood for this, for those of you who are like, is she going to leave the childhood alone? No, because years two to seven is where our subconscious mind is formed, where the big data dump goes into who we are. And that programming block shapes the trajectory of our life, period. So what I have found with most people who embody a victim mentality is in childhood, when they were good, strong, showing their talent, skills, and gifts, mom and dad usually neglected them. Now, do I mean neglect in a mean way? In some instances, yes. In others, mom and dad may have just had to work too damn much to pay attention to you. But whatever it was, you got the impression that when I'm being strong and getting good grades and not needing anybody, I get no attention. In other words, the strong don't get love. But when I have a problem with little Johnny down the street, when I burn myself on the stove, when I you know, have a, something too big for me to handle, now mom and dad stop and drop what they're doing and all of a sudden I get love and attention. So what I learn is that if I'm strong and powerful and empowered to be the person I want, I'm going to be out there on my own. No one's going to love on me. No one's going to check on me. They're just going to put me on autopilot and off I go. But if I have big problems, if my friends are teasing me at school, if I need braces, if I fell down and skinned my knee, whoa, what do you know? Mom and dad are paying attention to me. Well, I know I want mom and dad's attention because we're social creatures, especially as children. If I create more problems, I'll get more attention. So what happens in adulthood is I've watched powerful, strong women, let's say in their, in their work life, you know, make things happen. And as soon as they get in a relationship, that weak button gets pushed like, uh Oh, 
if I want love from him, I can't be the strong one. So I watch women's lives fall apart. They get flat tires. They lose clients. Their businesses go down when they get involved with somebody because they have been taught that if I want to be loved, if I want to be cared for, if I want attention, if I want support, I need to be a victim. And this becomes part of of their identity. And at some point it becomes subconscious that, uh uh-oh, I like this person. I want attention. I'm not getting attention. If they think I'm strong the way mom and dad did, then I'm just not going to get attention except like the tough stuff. And a lot of these women who went through this, again, they're struggling with codependency issues. And let me just preface it. Science says 96% of the United States population is codependent. So please don't overtake this word. It's something that most of us are to some degree or another. When I'm speaking about it, though, I'm speaking about it to the degree where it's hindering your ability to live your life how you want. And the victim mentality is codependency basically on steroids. My life is only good if you are giving me validation. And the way that I get my validation from you is not by winning, Because winning, you only give me a high five. My validation comes when something is too big. I can't pay a bill. I'm in a car accident. I have a sickness. I hurt something. And now you're going to come rescue me. And that dopamine hit I get when you rescue me fills me up from the inside out. And now I'm rewarded for my victim mentality. What you need to do to shift this is first understand what I just said to you. You've developed a victim mentality in order to get validation from outside sources because you never learned to get it from the inside. So one of the first things you have to do if you have a victim mentality is identify those areas in your life where you're already successful, where you're saying, I'm already good at fitness. Maybe I'm already good at my job or I'm already good because I've never met a victim unless I hate to say it like you're homeless and you've given up on life altogether and that's beyond victim. But like people who have a victim mentality, but you know, you have your job and you've got a place to live and all of that, that can all be shifted by choosing to focus on what you're successful at and realizing there's a different way to get the attention that you want. There is a different way to get that payoff than what you're doing. You can do it through strength. You can do it by asking, hey, babe, I'd like you to bring me the popcorn, not because I'm weak, not because I'm small, not because I'm a girl, but simply because you love me enough to bring it to me. But you have to love yourself enough to go into those conversations respectfully, kindly, and accept whatever your partner has to say. Because if you've been acting like a victim up until now, and all of a sudden you come out strong and kicking, they're going to look at you like, who are you and what did you do with my partner? So you have to ease them into your new level of consciousness while you take ownership of how you get your love and validation from others. Absolutely. Now, when you talk about validation... Validation is something that's brought up a lot. Dopamine, validation, for an example, social media, especially for younger women, men as well, but I'm going to focus on women. You know, with the Instagram world, there's a lot of talk about validation, about getting teens and young women to not rely on their likes or what they're getting on their social platforms and getting validation from within. And it doesn't have to just be social platforms. I'm just using that as an example. It could also just be from their friends, from their boyfriend. How can we help the next generation learn that validation comes from within? How can young women learn this? Well, one of the first things is educating them in school as to what social media really is. I am a huge proponent of social media in its proper place. But as someone who was born before the onset of social media and was an adult 
before the onset of social media. I can definitely see, and even in myself as a business owner, is why I primarily use social media. And I have that same, oh my gosh, this post got, you know, a hundred, but this one got four hundred. Well, why why didn't they like this one? You know? And I remember 10, 15 years ago not having this angst in any way, shape, or form. Like who cares how many followers and likes? Like you just you're living life. So one thing that if your children are of I hate to say this, controlled age, I say keep them off of social media for as long as you possibly can. You know, one thing that those who know people in Silicon Valley and people all around the world who are aware and know, they will tell you they keep their children off of social media for like till they're 15, 16, 20, whatever it is. So first thing first, keep them off of social or one of the things that I have said to some parents is maybe have them use it for like one hour a day while they're at the house, like maybe in the evening while everyone's watching TV and parents are around to discuss these things is very much putting in its controlled form. Because here's the thing. I have, I have two different ideas about this. One, this is life now. It's not going anywhere. You and I can reminisce all we want about the golden days before social media. This is what it is. This is how people are making a living. Like this is what our society is now. However, there is a way to dole it out in increments that are easier to understand. And I don't know if there's a way, like I said, to get completely around it because even myself as a grown woman can sometimes be subject to that. You really have to understand that it's a game. And the way I explain it to my son, because I have a teenage son who is very into social because he's very into basketball and he wants to see all the basketball players. And he gets very upset because he makes these long, beautiful basketball video edits and he'll get like 40 likes. And one of his, you know, female counterparts puts up a bikini shot and she gets 300. And he's like, how does she do nothing but stand there in a bikini and get 300 likes? And here I played the basketball. I shot the video. I added the music. I did the edit. I did all this work. And I only get like 40 likes, mom. And so I have to have the conversations with him to understand Social media is like a grown-up video game. It is not real. It is no different than when you get on and you play like Y2K with your friends or whatever. It is just a different game that people have learned to make money at. And people on social media, nine times out of 10, want low-hanging fruit that they don't have to think about that's bubblegum for their mind, and they're just clicking like. If you're putting anything out of value and substance, you have to understand you are playing to a smaller audience, one that shares your caliber and values. And what I would encourage parents to do if they have daughters that have a mission is, baby, why don't you tell me why you're on social? What is the purpose? Are you just there for your friends? Then it doesn't matter if somebody else gets a million likes. If your 10 best girlfriends like yours, you're just on there to play with them. If you have a mission, like I have clients whose children like, you know, want to save the oceans or about this, you know, gun reform with schools or whatever their passion is, then it's really about getting mom and dad involved. And like, how can I put up a post that does this? You know, how can I make an impact? And then it becomes a different game. So what I would say is this, parents, Explain social media as a game and that the dopamine hits are no different than when the kids were playing, you know, I don't know, Super Mario Brothers and you won the won the princess. Like you really have to understand it is a video game. And some days you're going to win and your picture is going to get 400 likes. And some days you're only going to get to level two and it's only going to have 40 likes. And you have to understand you are you are the same person regardless of the game you play that day. Absolutely. That's a really good point that it's, it's not real. It's a game. 
And like you, I use it for business and to promote my creative projects. I have a daughter who's super into YouTube for, not for her own self, but creativity. So she's not on social and I'm trying to keep that away as long as possible. So we have time to talk about one more chapter in the book. You also have a chapter about health and nutrition and a couple princesses in there. So what is your, the message that you're trying to get across in that chapter? Well, the two chapters are, I have a food chapter that was, we discussed a little bit earlier about your relationship with food. And then in the fitness chapter, I actually did it a little bit different. When you enter the session with me on fitness, you will be greeted, if you will, by a fitness assessment test. And I invite readers to take this test so that you can decide whether or not you have an acquaintance relationship with fitness, a friendship with fitness, or an intimacy with fitness. And the reason why I did it this way is because to me, our relationship with fitness is also a relationship with our body. And I have discovered that people who actually have a relationship with their body treat their body better than those who don't. I know that may sound really basic, but you'd be surprised how many people shove toxic food products, or I should I even say non-food products, you know, absorb things, put things on their skin, put things in their mouth, put things in their eyes and, you know, other orifices that I don't want to name. Like people do some really interesting things to this vehicle that we're walking around in. And normally it's because they're not attached. You know, the average person would not purposely pour poison into their liver. Like, why would you do that? But when you are engaged in life and you're just going with the flow and you don't have a relationship with your body, then going through the drive-through and putting in toxic food products is par for the course. Why? I don't care what's going on with my body as long as it's moving and walking around and, you know, I can still get from here to there. I don't care. It's usually not until things start breaking down that we go, "Uh uh-oh. Maybe I did need that broccoli and spinach and, you know, vitamin B and all of those kind of things. So one thing that I do with people with fitness before we even touch the gym or the exercise equipment is get you to have a relationship with your body. Like actually sit with it for five minutes a day. How do my feet feel? How do my legs feel? How does my body feel? I am in this vehicle. And when you understand that you have this relationship going on, you go, well, if I love my body, then I need to take care of it. And in order to take care of it, I need to move it because let's face it, we all live a much more sedentary lifestyle now than we did just even 50 years ago. Like our parents were more active as adults than we are on average. So we need to say, if I have a relationship and I want my knees to work and I want my joints to work and I want to be able to move through this planet earth while I'm here, I need to relate to my body and what it needs. And so in the fitness chapter, I discuss a lot about how to create a better relationship with fitness. You know, if you're just an acquaintance, I invite you to take a walk, learn how to choose music, learn how to make exercise a more pleasurable experience for you. And if you don't like the gym, don't go to the gym. You know, not everybody wants to go to the gym. If you want to hike, if you want to swim, if you want to tennis, if you want a basketball, if you want a rollerblade, volleyball, I mean, there's so many activities to do. You don't have to just go to the gym and ride the bike for 20 minutes or do an exercise class and here you go and all of that, unless that's what serves you. 
And then once you have like a normal friendship where maybe you're working out once or twice a week or, you know, three times, whatever it is, you know, you know my body's kind of maintaining, but I want a little bit more. And so from there, I invite you to how do I change, you know, my exercise routine? How do I make it better? You know, how do I make it stronger? So while you may have started off just going for a walk around the block, if that's already your phase, then I invite you to go ahead and take the next step. Maybe you want to join a Pilates class. Maybe you want to go do something. But you want to have an intimate relationship with your body because I promise you, if you love and take care of your body, your body will take so much better care of you. And there's another caveat to this that not a lot of people discuss. If your body is depleted on nutrients and exercise and all of those things, you know what else gets messed up? Your mind. Your gut has a secondary brain that feeds you information. And unlike your rational brain, the one between your two ears that can argue every side, your gut doesn't. It tells you the truth every time. That's why you hear so many people say, I followed my gut. I followed my instinct. Why? Because it can't lie. But you know when it gets cloudy? When you stick a bunch of toxic crap in it, now you're messing with your compass. You know, and if your heart isn't running right, then you're messing with your compass because you didn't exercise and get the blood pumping. Everything you don't do to your physical body, I mean, don't get me wrong, it can take it more than, you know, your mind getting its feelings hurt. But over the course of time, you keep putting toxicity into it and not taking care of it. That compass that you've got, is going to get dull and lead you in the wrong direction. And so that's why I included both a food and fitness chapter in this book, because to me, you cannot be Princess Charming if you are not treating your body like the vehicle, the actual vehicle that it is to take your spirit through this physical plane while you're here. Well, thank you for that. And that's, you're totally right. A lot of people might say, well, why is there something about eating and about fitness in a book that's about relationships, valuing yourself, money. But it's very important. If you're not going to take care of your physical body, it's not going to serve your mind as well. And like you said, the gut, there's another brain there. If you're not feeding it right, it's just not going to have the right little organisms in there. You're not going to feel good and you're you're also not going to think good things. You're not going to feel good emotionally. So I love that you have that chapter in there. Thank you. That is exactly why I had it in there because you cannot have mental health without having physical health. The two, they just go hand in hand. Now, where can people buy a copy of this book? Currently, it's available on Amazon.com under Becoming Princess Charming or my name, Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, McKean, M-C-K-E-A-N. I'm the only Morgan McKean author on Amazon. So if you put my name in, my book will come up. And if you are a bookstore owner, please feel free to reach out as we are slow by slow getting the book into different bookstores. But unfortunately, I don't have that list for you at this moment. Sure, no problem. But they can go on Amazon, look for Morgan McKean, Becoming Princess Charming. And now where can they find out more information about you if somebody wants counseling, not sure if you're still taking clients, or if they just want to know more about you, where can they find that? So the best place to find me is actually Instagram because I am there multiple times a day and you can find me at Morgan B as in Butterfly McKean. You can also find me on Facebook as Morgan B. McKean 
Or you can visit my website where I blog a few times a month at beingmorgan.com. And that's B-E-I-N-G-M-O-R-G-A-N.com. Excellent. And you also have a podcast in the works. Is that correct? I do. Thank you so much for bringing that out. I have a new podcast that will be out in a few weeks, and it's called in-depth with Morgan, and I am actually doing counseling sessions there. So if you do want counseling, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, and who knows, you might be a guest on my show. And there is a new website also going up for that under the same name, indepthwithmorgan.com, but it is in the works. But by the time your listeners are listening, perhaps it will be up. So go ahead and feel free to visit me there too. I love that. So if somebody's looking for counseling, they could get counseled on the air. Yes, that is, we are actually doing that real quick before we go. We are actually doing that because so many people need counseling and a lot of people who have been through abuse have also been through financial abuse. And so one way that I am making this information available to the masses is basically my show is like eavesdropping in on sessions. They're literally like a Dr. Laura show for those of you who are familiar with Dr. Laura, only my style. So if you got a little taste of what I was doing with Dawn today, I coach or counsel the exact same way that I interview. And this is exactly what I will be doing live with people on air. And if you tune in, you'll get insights just as though you're having a session with me personally. I love that. And I'm sure the listeners will as well. So, and what is it called again? In Depth with Morgan. Wow, check that out. That sounds really interesting. And people really love shows like that. So, and what a nice service too for people who, like you said, if you've been through abuse, oftentimes you've been through financial abuse and it's hard to afford counseling. So to be able to be a guest on the podcast and get some counseling like that, that's great. What a nice service. And also, if you want to tell me you came through Teaspoon of Healing as a guest, I've got one more for your listeners. You reach out to me and I will send you a copy of my 14 Days of Radical Self-Love. It starts with the five-part self-love assessment and then has 14 Days of Self-Love Challenges. So for those of you who listened all the way to the end, special surprise, Reach out to me either on Instagram or my website, and you will get a free copy of my 14 Days of Radical Self-Love Challenge. Yay, I love that. So check that out. Go to her Facebook or her Instagram, at Morgan B. McKean, and you can get her 14 Days of Radical Self-Love Challenge totally free. Well, thank you so much, Morgan, for coming on the podcast again. It was a pleasure to have you on, and the book sounds amazing. I need to read it. It sounds really cute. So Thank you very much and the best of luck on your show. I'll be tuning in as well. Thank you so much for having me. Can't wait till the next time. Same here. Thank you. Susan, you remember the time we were in Orange County? We were driving around and we got lost and we ran into this place called Avila's El Ranchito. You remember the place? The place had awesome decor and authentic margaritas. Did you know that Avila's El Ranchito has been around since 1966? They have 13 locations throughout Orange County. Visit Salvador Avila's location in Lake Forest and Foothill Ranch for great food, ambiance, and specialty margaritas. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. If you have a question for me or for Morgan, visit my website, teaspoonofhealing.com. Click on contact and you can get in touch with me there. 
You can also get in touch with me on Instagram at Teaspoon of Healing or Facebook.com slash Teaspoon of Healing. And I'm taking a little break for the summer for a couple weeks. I'm on vacation, but I will be back in mid-August with another episode. So stay tuned. And you can always find other episodes, previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. 